Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Pony Express, the flagship podcast of the Post Rider Podcast Network. As always, I'm your host, Post Rider Editor in Chief Michael Vito, and I'm joined in this episode by Post Rider CMO Lewis Ryan. Thanks, Mike. Glad to be here. You're the best in the biz. You know that? <laughs> yeah, I'm so good that I forgot to hit record for the first 10 minutes of our conversation. Um, Lars, who's usually with us, is not here right now. He's at a wine tasting doing important wine things. Um, so he also didn't see the movie that we're about to talk about, which is, I'm just jump right into it because we've already wasted some time, <laughs> is uh, Eternals, the latest installment of the MCU uh, which is directed by Oscar winner Chloe Zhao, written by Chloe Zhao, Patrick Burley, Ryan Furpo, and Kaz Furpo, uh, starring Gemma Chan, Richard Madden, Kumail Nagiani, Leah McHugh, Brian Tyree Henley, Lauren Ridloff, Barry Keoghan, Don Lee, Harish Patel, Kit Harrington, Salma Hayek, and Angelina Jolie. Uh, it is the story of... Um... So we, we talked about this, but, but it's, it's the story of these ten superpowered beings who are sent to Earth by the Celestial Arishem uh, to make it safe for humans to flourish by exterminating the Deviants, or these creatures that are trying to eat, kill all the humans. Um, around, like, uh, they're sent in, like, 5000 BC. They help, basically, spark the agricultural revolution, it's implied. And then, um, but by the time of, like, the uh, European discovery of America, they end up going their separate ways, until 2020 or whenever this movie is supposed to take place. And two of them, Sprite and Cersei, are attacked by a deviant, which is strange because they thought they killed them all. And they decide, well, we have to get the gang back together and figure out what exactly is going on here. So, um, Lewis, your, your headline, high-level thoughts on this movie. Um, yeah, well, um, you know... Uh, I, I didn't have you know too many expectations going in, and I'm sure we'll get into this more later. But you know, I was not really all that familiar with the characters or the storyline of Eternals, and you know, I hadn't really heard a whole lot of much of anything about the movie, except the only thing I really heard people talking about was Kumail Nanjiani in and of himself, mm -hmm. and the fact that he got really fit for the movie. That was pretty much all all what I heard. That was like uh, a big Twitter day when that happened when those pictures first came out. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and, you know, the reception online has been sort of cool on this movie compared to some of the other, uh, entries in the franchise. So, um, I would say, you know, I, I went in expecting, you know, to sort of dismiss it because I was also not a fan of Chloe Zhao's last film, Nomadland. Mm -hmm. Um... But I, I was actually pleasantly surprised. I really, really like this movie. And as someone who's, you know, I'm, I'm sure you would agree, it was somewhat agnostic about MCU movies. I actually, like, really enjoyed this film. I really thought this this one separated itself from the pack, and I'd, I'd recommend this wholeheartedly, just maybe even as, like, a film on its own, outside of, like, superhero, you know, movie labels. So that, that's that's my thoughts on it, generally. Yeah, so as you alluded, this is so far the worst, according to Rotten Tomatoes, this is the worst reviewed movie of the MCU, um, which I think is a little disingenuous to say, because it's not like people are like, this is the worst movie ever made, they're most just like, ah, I don't really feel this. Um, yeah, so I went and it. it's funny because like because of the chilly reception, that like weirdly made me more 
excited to go see it because I wanted to see what all the fuss was about. And I definitely did not like it as much as you did, which is ironic because I quite liked Nomadland. Um, but I did not like outright hate it the way some people, other people did. I think there were a lot of things that didn't work, right? I think this is probably in the lower tier of Marvel movies, but it was not the absolute and complete train wreck that some people made it out to be. Um, so let's talk about what you like. What what like affirmatively did you enjoy about this movie? What kind of put it over the top for you? Um, so I think this might be sort of hard to describe, but I liked how you know the MCU gets a lot of flack for being like really you know samey cookie cutter. It's like no matter who directs it, it all sort of has the same you know feel. Mm-hmm. I, I I'll commend this film. Like it felt like its own thing. You know, it felt like it truly, and I think this would probably be, like, if Lars ever gets around to seeing it, like, I guarantee you he'll probably say this is a reason he does not like the movie, is that <laughs> it stands on its own. It does not need to be mm-hmm. in the MCU, really, at all. Um, so I like that, and I just thought, uh, you know, it was an interesting story compared to the others. Um, I don't know, it's sort, of, it's sort of hard to describe, because, like, when you, you know, describe the plot, it sounds like you're sort of, you know, Marvel cosmic sort of fanfare. But it, there was just something about the way it was executed and the way the story was told. And I'm sure we'll get into this because I'm sure you probably have a problems with, like, the pacing of the movie. And I, I had problems with it as well, you know, watching it for the first time in the theater. But the way it it's telling sort of two, two narrative threads where it's in the present but it flashes back as well, it's sort of a little bit um, push and pull. Mm-hmm. But I think it ultimately works in the movie's favor, because by by the time you get to the second half, I sort of understood like why they were doing that. Um, so it just felt like an all around you know good film. Yeah. Well, it's funny because um, apparently in interviews, Chloe Zhao has said that she was directly inspired by Zack Snyder, of course, director of Batman vs Superman Justice League for this movie, which. It now makes sense to me that you like it because you're probably higher on Zack Snyder's DC movies than a lot of other people are. Um. Uh, you, that that could be. I, I don't. <laughs> people keep saying that about Chloe Zhao. I mean, I I kind of see it in the way she does her movies, but like, uh, I mean this this it's sort of just like I, I mean I liked those movies, you yeah. know, and it's sort of like been a black mark on me whenever I have to mention it publicly. Um. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, it's like I've kind of cooled on that because, like, uh, the more I hear Zack Snyder talk in interviews, he seems really uh, shallow yeah. <laughs> when he speaks about his films. <laughs> it's sort of giving a lot of credit where it's not really right. there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of similarities like, you could draw between Eternals and, let's say, the, the Snyder cut of the Justice League movie mm-hmm. that just came out. I think this movie is sort of similar to that. It had... It, it wasn't afraid to take itself seriously. Yeah. It wasn't yeah. afraid to go all in on the premise of this mm-hmm. and, you know, just tell an interesting science fiction story. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. And I think, it, for me at least, that was both an asset and a, and a defect, I think, in a way, right? Like, I, I appreciate that I was able to take itself seriously. I also think that um, the two performances that are supposed to, like, anchor that seriousness and Richard... Madden and Gemma Chan. I think Richard Madden was, like, pretty bad in this movie. Like, he, I think, was completely devoid of, like, any charisma, and they were supposed to be in love, or, like, formerly in love, 
and I think they had pretty much zero chemistry. And it was hard for me to take them seriously. And there's an end scene that, like, almost made me laugh out loud. That was supposed to be very serious. We can get to that a little bit later. But, yeah, I, I, I do respect how I try to do its own thing um, in that regard. But yeah, let, let, let's talk about the, the pacing and the plotting a little bit, too. So, as I mentioned, you know, they're supposed to have been sent to Earth in 5000 BC, but the sort of bulk of the story really... Um, takes place, you know, in the contemporary era, 2020, 2021, whatever you want to say. Um, but we get periodic flashbacks to um, events. Their, their past. Their past, Earth, yeah. Earth's past. Earth's past, and the, the role that they played in, um, you know, creating modern human culture, basically. Um, I thought those looks backs were, were interesting. Um the scene with uh, uh, Fastos and Hiroshima has been criticized a lot <laughs> for being a little tone deaf, and I think that's probably fair. Um, and to me, what I thought when I was watching this is that I feel like it, it, I felt like it dragged the plot a little bit, and it really didn't feel like things started to go, like get going until like honestly like the hour 45 mark it just felt like it was taking way too long to develop and it all just made me think like this would be way better as a tv show right like i would love like i was just like i would love to like i feel like i feel like falcon the winter shoulder soldier should have been a movie and this should have been a tv show um, right well it's just it's funny that you say that because that's my new go-to phrase in our in our post uh many saints of newark's world yeah <laughs> it's like oh that should have been a 10 episode mini series it's like what what couldn't be a 10 episode miniseries it's like just you know make a movie please yeah um uh no i mean i agree with you and it's like i had those feelings watching the movie of like why are we going back to this but you know it it all to me the scene that really made made it all click mm-hmm. and like made it forgive and it's where it just became a point where it's like why am i fighting trying to enjoy this movie it's like why not just you know enjoy yeah. a movie for once in our short lives um Compared to the Eternals, uh, the the scene that made it click is um, is towards the end, and this might just be getting us way off track by skipping to the end. Is the the scene where it goes to Icarus meeting with Ajax, mm-hmm. and it's like that whole flashback scene, and that really sort of it's like, oh, I see now, because that's why it had that establishment of sort of flashing back and stuff. That right, right. that scene mm-hmm. made it all click. So um, I like that, and uh, I'll disagree with you. Uh, about the characters like i really enjoyed the characters and the way the actors played them considering that this is essentially a movie about alien robots mm-hmm. i was you know surprised how like i enjoyed like the characters and stuff and the way they all felt you know enjoyable i think that's probably marvel's the mcu mm-hmm. this biggest strong suit is that you know has likable you know actors playing characters you know it's very easy to like them and it, i felt this movie did that in a way where they were enjoyable, but it didn't undercut like this the you know their role in the story, the reality of the world and whatnot. So I like that. I like I, I like the actors in this well, movie. I, I feel like I like all of the actors, but Gemma Chan and Richard Madden. Right? Like I thought Kubal Nanjiani was very charming. I think Brian T- Tyree Henry is just like a fabulous actor. Anything to put him in. Um, I really enjoyed Barry Keown's 
I, I feel like Barry Keoghan actually was probably my favorite performance, and just the way that he was kind of like, um, <laughs> in a way he, he he ends up being like vindicated as being the one who's like right the whole time. Um, you know, Lauren Ridloff, um, who who is deaf and plays a deaf character, I thought gave a really interesting performance, and her and Barry Keoghan's chemistry is really interesting. Harish Patel, I thought was pretty funny. Um, it's just relying on leaning so heavily, especially early on, on Gemma Chan and Richard Madden for me is what I, I get. Like I said, I just they did not do it for me. Uh, okay, but yeah, agree to disagree. I mean, I can sort of understand with Richard Madden. I feel like it's a problem for like this this century where it's like you can't just have like a you know, default white man as the protagonist. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know. I um, think, but, but I, I mean, this this film does interesting things with it in the <laughs> second half, which yeah. I, I greatly enjoyed. Yeah. I feel like, in a way, it's... It's it's so weird because, like, they directly, like... Because um, his exploits get media attention and, and, and Fossus' son calls him Superman. It's like, it's weird that this joke is, like, in this movie right that um they're acknowledging that superman exists <laughs> or like you know it doesn't exist in the universe but like exists as a concept um and i but i feel like he he had he had the challenge that and i i for i've not seen a lot of his other work i've heard he's very good in the bodyguard which again i've never seen but um i feel like he had the challenge that like henry cavill had playing superman or it's like how do you make this like essentially perfect being relatable and interesting um and you know it's it's it's, it's a tough it's it's a big lift and so i'm not gonna fault him 100 percent for 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 not in my eyes at least meeting it but we're, we're split on that so that's that's fine um yeah so why don't um get kind of into it a little bit more about so what actually does end up happening which is I agree. I thought this made it much more interesting. Is that what I do? One thing I do think that um, where you can make the argument that it eleva- elevates itself above the other Marvel movies is that the relationships between all the characters is much more complicated than they are in the other films, right? And that's because it turns out. So what happens is they realize the deviants are back. They go to see Salma Hayek's character who's living in some shack in South Dakota. Um, her name is Ajak, and she's the one who can communicate with Arishem. And they find her, and she's dead. Um, killed by a deviant, um, which now means Cersei can communicate with Arishem instead, Jim Chan's character. And so what they find out first is that... Um, there is a seed that's been planted in the core of the earth that is going to give birth to a new celestial. And mm-hmm. um, they were sent on earth uh, to destroy the deviants and to... The reason why is because all of the human progress and flourishing creates enough energy for the celestial to feed off of them and be born. Of course, in that process, he blows up earth and kills everybody on it. Um, and it turns out that the past that the Eternals think they have on their home planets does not actually exist. They are tools who have been used for this purpose before. Um, and it turns out that Icarus, Richard Madden's character, had kind of known this... I don't know if he'd known it the whole time, but he had known it earlier than the other characters. And um, Ajak 
is like, we have to stop this. We have to. We can't let these people die. And Icarus is like, well, no, we don't have a choice. And it turns out he is the one who, in fact, kills AJ. And um, that betrayal um, leads to like the big action set piece at the end, where they try to stop the Eternal, who's in not the Eternal, the Celestial, who's in the Earth from from blowing up the planet. Um, so yeah, what? I, and I agree, right? That this is kind of what made it work because it, it was this not. It wasn't like, oh, here's this like big bad in the corner that we all have to get together and fight. It's like, oh, we're like fighting each other now. Um, and also we're kind of like trying to defy the word of God and like kill another God to do it. So yeah, I agree. Like thematically that it asks way more interesting questions than a lot of other Marvel movies do. Yeah, and I felt it was just like really entertaining on like a movie level. Like I feel like Icarus is like the first villain I've seen in a Marvel movie in one of these Marvel movies, maybe in a long time, where it's like, I actually really, like, want to see him, like, beat this adversary, you know? You know what I mean? I really want to see him get him. I mean, I, I bet, it, I'm sure a lot of people probably have that with, like, Thanos in the last two, but, like, I really, like, got into it with, like, this movie. Because um, it, it's it's really compelling, because, like, I was invested and then this turn happened, and it's like, oh my gosh, but it makes sense. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it made for an exciting uh, climax when um, they do fight him, and they actually manage to beat him. More yes, suppressive. They do. Well, yeah, and so <laughs> that's the thing that like I had said that like made me laugh is like so they end up being able to stop the eternal the celestial, excuse me, from being born, and then um Icarus goes, he's got like laser eyes, he can shoot lasers out of his eyes. And he goes to I assume kill Cersei, but he can't do it because he has this flashback to this beautiful life they had in the past. And like the score they used for that felt it was like this like female soloist vocal it felt like if you were trying to make a parody of a big important movie it's the kind of music you would put into it and then he becomes so distraught that he flies out into space and flies into the sun to kill himself which is a um a nod to icarus (laughs) it is oh i had not thought about that but it is um i don't know it it felt kind of silly to me, but yeah, I don't know. But, <laughs> this is a movie about a giant god hatching out of our planet yeah. egg. I, I I don't again. I don't know why this is like where what I for all the silly things that happen in the Marvel universe. I don't know why this is the bridge too far for me. But for whatever reason, it was. Um, but yeah, but it's so I'm curious. Um, so I listened to another podcast and they were talking about this, and apparently. Um, the the story goes that um, Chloe Zhao and Kevin Feige, the the mastermind behind the MCU, basically had very different visions. Well, mastermind as in he's the guy who's he's a pro- the big super producer who's coordinating everything. He created all the characters. <laughs> yeah, he's basically Stanley and Jack Kirby. Um, they apparently had very different ideas of how this movie should go, and um. I, I do think you can. There's a little bit of tonal discrepancy in this movie um, about how it wants to be pretty serious in the other parts, and then you have the comic relief character played by Kingo, primarily played by Kumail Nanjiani, and who's maybe more akin to like a traditional MCU character. Um, yeah, and that push pull I found a little drying, and like sometimes like. I don't know, that scene where they go to the Australian Outback to see 
Athena and Gilgamesh. Like the dialogue when they're all eating dinner, I thought was actually just, like very bad. Like I just, like I said, I felt like they had no chemistry, and I felt like them trying to shoehorn these references to Captain America and Iron Man and all this stuff. And I don't know, did did you feel the same way? Did you think there was also kind of like tonally tonal inconsistencies, or were you okay with it? Um, that was just stuff I didn't sort of mind. I mean, it just becomes a thing where you know, because that's stuff that's like in all the trailers. Yeah, you just become numb to it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, the thing I said is, that I liked about this is that it really, it doesn't need the MCU at all. Yeah. In my opinion. I mean, I think you could watch this film just on its own without having seen any MCU movie, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, so, I mean, things like where they reference it at all, I mean, it's like, I could do without that, obviously. Um, uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess I guess we're just, like, agreeing to disagree on a lot of stuff, but, <laughs> or maybe I just decided to turn off, like, the critical... Mm-hmm. part of my brain too much but it's like uh you know i mean it all, all the humor uh i think that's been one of the many sticking points i have with the mcu is the way they employ humor yeah in a lot of their movies i mean some people like james gunn mm-hmm. do it in ways that are very fresh but a lot of it is kind of uh stayed yeah yeah and uh i mean god forbid that the creations of stanley should be corny and hokey but it can be a little overbearing sometimes especially when it's um yeah never mind i don't want to get into a big digression comparing the humor from the movies and the comics but um all the no, humor do film... it do it <laughs> would do it yeah i mean the stanley's humor was just more sort of like it's like oh thor on the subway and a guy being like hey watch it pal and it's like <laughs> It was never undercutting, like, the seriousness of the situation, or was never at, like, you know, the hero's expense, like, mm-hmm. too much. But it's, like, any time... I, I don't know. <laughs> I just think of, like, Civil War yeah. as, like, you know, it's, like, when Captain America and Sharon Carter kiss, and it's, like, you just know it has to cut to, like, Falcon and Winter Soldier. Yeah. Like, they're just watching, and they have to say something. Because, right, right. God forbid, you should get emotionally invested <laughs> in anything. Um, but a lot of it felt fresh. Like, the thing... Uh, like, there was a shot where it's, like, Kingo's valet filming them in the spaceship with, like, a camera, Mm -hmm. and the movie turns into, like, a found footage movie. The movie turns into, like, a found footage movie for, like, 30 seconds. Yeah. And it was just, like, really funny, Mm -hmm. because it was, like, something I hadn't seen before. It's like, oh, you can do this in in a Marvel movie. It's like, when you have, give people artistic freedom, they can actually do something interesting. It's just, um, uh, yeah, so... Not that this movie's like a laugh riot, but there were a couple of moments where I chuckled. Um, I mean, this movie had like, you know, everything. It was like a true epic where it was like romance, epicness, history, you know, humor, science fiction, big ideas, mm-hmm. stuff like that. So, <laughs> am I saying it's Lawrence of Arabia? No. <laughs> but I do think we can probably talk about this later, but like the Rotten Tomatoes score, um, I mean, I think it's just unfair that this has to get such a low score and, like, the other movies get Mm -hmm. such a high score. Because in my opinion, and this might go into a whole thing where I think Rotten Tomatoes is, like, killing (laughs) film criticism, where uh, I wish, like, critics would, you know, actually do their jobs and try to tear these blockbusters down a peg. I think a lot of these blockbusters should try to get, like, 50 to 60%. (laughs) Because it seems unfair that, like, what I don't know, Endgame probably has like ninety plus mm-hmm. on Rotten Tomatoes or something, and it's like that's that's ridiculous. Yeah, it, um, yeah. This is a ahead. weird metaphor, but uh, there's this 
college basketball podcast I listen to, and one of the hosts is like, he's like, you know, if I had a player who was like missing, who was making like ninety percent of their shots, I would be angry because I want them to, I because that to me tells me they're not trying hard enough and they're not taking enough shots, and so they should be like missing more. And I feel like that's a little bit how I feel about Rotten Tomatoes ratings, where it's like, because what I, what I think happens with the MCU, and, and you can tell me if you agree or not, with the movies where it's like. Because um, to me, like, so obviously we said this is the, the worst rated Rotten Tomatoes. I don't, I do not think this is the worst MCU movie. I think there are at least like three or four that are worse than it. Um, even if though I, even though it's not one of my favorites, but like, like Ant Man and the Wops to me is a completely banal, unnecessary movie. Like it yeah. does absolutely nothing for me. And yet I want to let me look up what it has now. It probably has like yeah. A, you're say, it's just it's just more forgettable. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna guess it has like a seventy-eight, um, but I don't actually know. But the the point is, is that like I I think that it's a lot of that's just part of them playing safe, right? It's like is there, it's hard to say that there's for a lot of these movies, even if you don't like them that much, it's hard to say there's too much aggressively bad about them. Um, and part of that's because they don't take chances. But to me, it's just like yeah, Eternals is more worthwhile, even though, I, like I said, I had a lot of problems with it, I, it's just more worthwhile than Ant-Man and the Wasp, which, like I said, I found to be totally forgettable. Yeah, like, I, I, no, I, I liked Ant-Man and the Wasp, and I, I like Shang-Chi, remember? We, yeah. we like Shang-Chi. I would say that this this movie, though, it's, like, in a whole other level, where I'm not viewing it as, like, you know, an MCU movie, I'm just viewing it as, like, a movie, and actually, right, like, right. manages to, like, break through that ceiling to me, in my opinion. Which, you know, I'm glad for because I like watching good movies, you know, when I pay for a ticket. Um, as opposed to just being like, oh, this this is the popular thing. I guess I should see it so I can talk about it. So I sound smart when I talk to other people about it. So I have content for a podcast. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, that's another thing, too. But, um, no, I mean, I, I was glad to see it. Um, yeah. Ant-Man and the Wasp, by the way, has 87%, which is much too high. But it's also, I think, tells you the sort of, like, like to me, the, um, I, it's, it's, the, the thing that I think is missing from a lot of, you know, like you're saying, it's playing it safe. Like, the thing I want to see more in movies is, like, um, like, in the works of, like, David Lynch, it's very, like, transgressive. Like, it stirs the pot, you know, where it's almost like, why are you doing this, David Lynch? It's like, <laughs> you know, it's like, you're, he's, like, daring you, like, not to watch or, like, stop the movie or something. It's like, it's challenging you. Mm-hmm. It's trying to get you out of your comfort zone and, like, make you acknowledge, like, why am I uncomfortable with this? It's making you confront your fears. So I think, in an ideal world, I would like to see a lot more of the, you know, uh, mainstream movies from Hollywood try, you know, to inform and educate you know the public you know make them smarter so i'd like to see more challenging films and as a result i'd like to see more films that you know get like 50 percent or so on rotten tomatoes where it just you know divides the audience um obviously there's cases where you know a movie's just bad (laughs) so it can you can still watch it and be challenged but i there are cases where you probably won't be intellectually stimulated by it Mm. um but um i do you know like you're saying it's unfair that Ant-Man and the Wasp has 87%, and this movie has, what, below 60% now? I, I, I think it's 51 last time, Jack. Yeah. And it's like, well... Uh, it's like, 
in re- 47 like, now actually wow yeah but it's like what are, what are people objecting to i guess just being bored i i think i think they're uh i think they all agree with me because i'm very smart no i, I think they I, I think part of it is the um i think they're probably kind of underwhelmed like i think i think it's the performances honestly and i think it's the um just like the how i think i think part of it's how serious it is that like it is not like i think part of it is because it is it is neither a like true chloe Zhao movie nor is it a true mcu movie right like it is very awkwardly in between and i think that it just reads as unsatisfactory to a lot of people that's interesting i guess it's like you know this is like firmly an entry in like the marvel you know like cosmic saga and I feel like there's a lot of that to, like, you know, love and, like, fawn over in this movie. It's like, I guess people don't want that, or they want only a version of it, like, Guardians of the Galaxy, where it's like, uh, Chris Pratt man makes joke joke, <laughs> reference 80s pop music, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> something like that. Um, and it's just, you know, it's kind of dispiriting for yeah. someone who, like, champions art <laughs> as, like, an intellectual force, where it's like, you know, just soundly rejected. Mm-hmm. Um, makes you question the whole notion of capitalism. But we're veering way off topic now. I will, <laughs> s- but like I will say, I think that the reaction to Dune is like a, which we talked about last episode, is like a a reason for hope, though, right? Because that's a movie that doesn't try to tailor itself to any audience and just does whatever the hell it wants. That and people liked it, and it did pretty well at the box office. That is a good, very good point, Mike, where it's almost like an anomaly in yeah. the system. Um, but I think that probably has to do with, like, uh, marketing mm-hmm. or something. Because it is, you're like you're saying, it is very strange. Because it's like a very, it's adapting a very dense work of literature. And, like, as we talked about, it, like, smoothed over and everything. So, like, anyone who didn't read the book can sort of just pretty much understand it. And it, like, it literally is just, like, half of a story. Yeah. It's like there's no grand conclusion to the Dune movie that just came out. So it is very weird that it is as successful as it is. And it's like I remember walking out of the theater like questioning and, you know, in the wake of... Because I, I saw it, remember, and it seemed like it went over pretty well. And it's just like, how did Blade Runner 2049 fail? Right. Yeah. It's like, how did we <laughs> let this happen? Yeah. Um, it's just, it's very confusing. I And... You know, it's like Dune is like a known IP, but I don't know if it was like that well known. I yeah. mean, it's... I can't imagine that it is. Like, yeah, I mean, but you've heard of the book Dune, yeah, right? Yeah, like I think it's known, but like it's like if you were to if you were to poll ten people, how many do I think people do I think read the book? It's like maybe two out of ten people. Um, but it didn't. It, it, like it's not even known to the degree that like Harry Potter was known when those movies came out, right? Um, you know, it wasn't like a like runaway sensation that was topping the New York Times bestsellers. At least not in our in in twenty twenty one. Maybe it wasn't like nineteen sixty seven. But um, yeah, not not in our lifetime. Yeah, and it had a track record of you know this. They made the David Lynch movie, going back to David Lynch again, <laughs> in the mid eighties, and it failed. So does it say something about? I mean, I guess you could go back to comic book movies in general. It's like the rise of geek nerd culture in the main space of the universe, special effects or whatnot. But it's just, 
Um, I mean, I guess box office wise, Eternals is doing fine. So I guess it's just like critically, why is it? It's I, I guess people are just bored. <laughs> I guess so. But like in a weird way, I'm also thinking of like Inception now, right? Which was a totally original idea that was also a smashing success. Granted, like before the MCU had such a stranglehold on the industry, but I don't know. I did, I feel like. I feel like what happens is is that like every ten years or so you'll get like a I don't want to say like original because Dune is obviously IP but like you'll get a non non sort of like um, in the public consciousness to a large degree like hit and then my guess is there are just lots of imitators that end up being bad and that just scares people from ever wanting to do that again. And also, you know, the, the talents of Christopher Nolan and Denny Villeneuve are probably a bit larger than your typical blockbuster director, but I don't know. I don't know. Um, yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I really enjoyed this movie. I don't want to say I disagree with the critics because I'm, I'm willing to hear, you know, valid criticism. And I, I've acknowledged a lot of valid criticism. Like, I can totally understand someone watching this you know, a mouth breather watching this. And it's like, I'm, you know, I'm bored. Like, when the first flashbacks happen, it's like, why are we cutting back? It's like, you know, just tell a straightforward story. But, you know, I think, um, and, they, you know, they've said behind the scenes that there's not really any plans to, like, make an Eternals trilogy. Mm-hmm. That it's like this film, like, it was, um, it stood on its own. You know, you don't need to watch anything before it. You don't need to look forward to any sequels, you know, to find out what happens next. It tells a pretty complete story on its own, which is, you know, I would like to see more of in movies. <laughs> yeah. And I would say, because as someone who's cooler on it than you are, like, I would encourage people to go see it because even though I do think it has the part where it is bad, I think it's at least bad in an interesting way, <laughs> as opposed to a movie like Iron Man 2, which is my least favorite MCU movie, which I think is bad in a boring way. Like, that movie bores the hell out of me. Uh, yeah i mean if you compare this movie to like say uh batman and robin (laughs) which one would you rather watch i haven't seen batman and robin but oh you haven't no i haven't oh we should do that on pony we should we should (laughs) yeah the rubber nipples movie um (laughs) let's uh touch on the post-credit scenes did you stay for the post-credit scenes no it's like um I, I don't stick around for the post-credit scenes because it is just like wankery. Okay. So I just I get up and leave. I, I I've heard about them though. Can I just say before we get into the post-credit scenes? Yeah. Um, I had a feeling because like like we both acknowledged like we we didn't read like Eternals comics like we really know very little and we you know we're both comic book readers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that. Watching this movie, you know, not having read the comics, I was like, I was like enjoying it, and it's like Arishim getting to see Arishim and like all the scenes of him. I was like, wow, that's really cool, because I've always been sort of cool on like people are like, oh, I want to see this stuff in like live action. It's like, what? Who cares? I mean, it's like there's a comic book, use your imagination. And it's like, but now it's like getting to see it like in a big live action movie. I'm like, wow, that's cool. So I'm wondering if like my hatred of the MCU is like my fault for like reading the comics and like. So I, there might be something there. If only, what I think it was is like when the MCU was first a thing, which was like, which, so I think I've talked about this before where it's like, I realized, um, I read the, um, let me find it, but the book, the, uh, I think it's Marvel, the untold story. 
Oh, by Sean Howe. Yeah, Marvel Comics: The Untold Story by Sean Howe. Great book about the history of the company. But like, I read, I read that realizing I was the perfect mark and the perfect consumer because it was like their whole plan was to like create the ultimate universe, get a bunch of kids hooked on these comic books, and then create movies about them that they would shell out money to see. And that's exactly what happened to me, right? Like, I was in eighth grade. Well, we were both in eighth grade, the same age. When Iron, or were two, yeah, well, two thousand eight when Iron Man came out. So we were like, you know. The right age for that um and then uh it led up to avengers which for me was like a rapturous event because i was like i'm finally seeing them together on the live screen but you know now that it's been going on for uh 10 plus years like i am kind of it's like entering its third decade <laughs> yes i am kind of uh less excited about the sheer novelty of seeing things portrayed on screen um like i was when I was younger and this was fresher. So, um, like, what would make me more excited? Like, I will be more excited for the Fantastic Four movie because we've seen less of that on screen. And, like, if they ever get to, like, name more, that will make me very excited. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm though, a little bit shocked to hear that. <laughs> even though I'm not, like, a big Namor reader, like, just seeing, like... <laughs> Namor slash reader? <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I, for whatever reason, that that would that would just seem cooler to me because it's such a important it's an important thing that has not been tackled. Like that. Yeah. Speaking of um, Fantastic Four, the thing that you know, like I was saying, the thing that I really like, uh, and I talked about this, and when we talked about the Spider-Man, is it No Way Home? The the Spider-Man three trailer for the MCU. Yeah, no it's way. like. It's like, I want to go back to, like, when I would watch movies as a kid and be, like, you know, transported to, like, yeah. a magical adventure where it's not all about getting IPs and smashing them <laughs> together for enjoyment of uh, knuckleheads. Um, so, yeah, so, like, watching Arishim and the scenes with him and, like, especially the scene at the end, that made me, like, really excited and, like, happy to, like, see that. And it's like, I'm not familiar with, like, the Celestials too much from the comics, so I just, I just thought it was really well done. So, and then... The ending, which we can talk about briefly and then get to the post credit scenes you want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, when Arishim comes back and he like takes some of the Eternals away and he's like, I will be back for judgment. And it's like, <laughs> oh, it made me giddy. And I was like walking out of the theater thinking about like if they ever get, uh, you know, what they'll hopefully get to introduce Dr. Doom mm-hmm. at some point in the MCU. I can totally see Dr. Doom wanting to go toe-to-toe with Arishim. <laughs> It's like, oh, I'm itching to see that confrontation when Arishim comes back and Doctor Doom's like, <laughs> not today, buddy. <laughs> that would, that it's it's funny because like that ending, I thought I was like, this is kind of dumb. But now that I think about it, it's like the perfect comic book ending, right? It's just it's 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 yeah. I, I um, there's something in in a weird way. I mean, I guess we were, we've been kind of talking about this, but like this does feel it does feel like almost one of the faults of this movie is that it is trying to stay more more um, honest to the tone of the comics in a way, in the way it takes itself seriously and at face value. Um, yeah. The other thing about the ending, well, like, the climactic fight scene, so Kumail Nanjiani just, like, disappears. Did I miss something? Like, does he say he's not going to fight? Because that really yeah, confused me. Yeah, that's... Uh... <laughs> That was the thing. That was a sticking point. I remember walking out of the theater. And it's like, you know, you're watching the movie, and it's like they're fighting Icarus on the beach. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, at some point Icarus is going to be, like, standing up, and it's like, oh, he's going he's gonna to beat the rest of them, and then he's going to get shot in the face, yeah. and it's going to cut to Kingo, and Kingo's going to say something, and he's going to 
turn to his valet and be like, did you get that? And then he'll cut to the valet holding the camera. It's like, I got it. But no, that doesn't happen. I was shocked. Yeah. And um, it's funny because I, you know, I'm kind of a friend of a friend of Kumail Nanjiani. And it's like, I kind of can imagine them (laughs) going up to Kumail and be like, hey, where'd you go? (laughs) Like the last third of the movie. Because it is kind of funny, especially with how, like I said, like, from my point of view, the marketing's all really been like Kumail Nanjiani mm-hmm. is in this movie, isn't that neat? Mm-hmm. So it is kind of weird how he just like sits out that part when it. Um, I think I think it would have been really satisfying to an audience if if Kingo showed up. Yeah, the, I, I, the I really, act. I really, uh, that was very strange to me. Um, anyway, yeah, I, I don't, I don't have a lot to say at, at the post credit scenes. Obviously, so the first one, um, Star Fox, aka Eros shows up played by harry styles mike's as, favorite avenger as <laughs> his powers as this pip the troll played by Patton oswald uh, well, Patton and, oswald's in something oh my god <laughs> stop the presses believe it or not um and like it like it, it i thought i think i thought it was like i don't know i'd I have a lot of like there's there, there's nothing to really talk about right it just shows up but, he, but like it like so the movie ends with the I will render judgment thing and then he flies off and it has, you know, the music's playing. It's like the dramatic score. And then Star Fox shows up and Foreigners for the feels like the first time starts playing. And that's through the rest of the credits. And it just like, to me, it kind of encapsulated where it's just like, do you want this to be Guardians of the Galaxy or do you want it to be something else? Because you're turning into Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, that, that's the impression I got reading about the post credit scenes because it is like... This is like the a session we're making to Kevin Feige. Yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. we're putting this stuff in at the very end of the movie when, for the most part, it was like perfectly fine on its own. Well, and, and then the other post-credit scene, which reveals like because I had forgotten that the Black Knight's real name was Dane Whitman, <laughs> and then I was like, oh wait a minute, and then it turns out that Kit Harrington's character, who's Cersei's boyfriend for parts of it. He, he, he gets this sword from his like uncle or whatever and um it's it's the black blade of, of the, the, the ebony, ebony blade. blade of black knife fame and then it, off screen you hear blade played by mahershala ali say something um and it's just like bonkers to me that we've like gotten to the point where uh the black knight's gonna be in these movies like they are running out of like and I have nothing but appreciation for the Black Knight, but we're just, like, running out of characters. Uh, yeah. Like, I'm hoping that it'll get to a point where when, like, the FF finally show up and the thing says it's clobbering time, it'll be, like, standing ovation. Yeah. Everyone cheers. Yeah! <laughs> finally. I mean, that would be great. Um, we'll just have to see, though. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, I... And I hope I have the same reaction when the new Wolverine, played by, I don't know, whoever, says, I'm the best at what I do and what I do ain't nice. But, Gilbert Godfrey? Yeah, Gilbert Godfrey. Hi! <laughs> That'd be interesting. I, I don't know. This is a complete tangent, but it's like, I'm not sure I want them to make more X-Men movies. I think, I think, I think we've done that, but whatever. Uh, and I love the X-Men, but okay. 
Well, that's a, anything else to add about Eternals or, or the state of blockbuster filmmaking in general, as we've talked? Uh, when we were watching, I saw the movie with my brother. Yeah. And there, there's a part where they go to the Amazon River mm-hmm. in Brazil. And in the corner, it says Amazon. And my brother ribbed me, and he's like, Nomadland. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had forgotten about that um, connection. Yeah. Um, and it, <laughs> it's funny, right? Because it's like, Nomadland got criticized for being too nice to Amazon. And in this movie, it's like, there's people in Amazon who are like enslaved by Barry Keoghan's character. Oh, interesting. <laughs> Maybe she's trying to compensate for something. I don't know. Um, but uh, I thought that was an unfair criticism of that line, but whatever. Anyway, um, well, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, this has been The Pony Express. I've been Mike Levito. You can find me on Twitter at MLevito, on Letterboxd at Ameramike. Uh, and I'm Lewis Ryan. You can find me at Twitter at the Lewis Ryan on various social media platforms. Yeah, you can find our writing on thepostwriter.com where you can also find this podcast, which you can also find anywhere you listen to podcasts. So, uh, yeah, yeah, and if, if you have thoughts on the Eternals, write to us at contact at thepostwriter.com. We'd like to get some emails from some of you. Do do a veritable stand soapbox <laughs> of uh, uh, emails. That's right. And give us reviews on Spotify and iTunes and anywhere else to listen to podcasts. Um, good reviews yes yeah yeah <laughs> don't do any of that review bombing rotten tomatoes bullshit we were talking about <laughs> <laughs> all right well in the spirit of stand the man himself until next time true believers <laughs> excelsior that was a bad stanley whatever <laughs> bye excelsior true believers <laughs> enough said there you go <laughs> i want to cut jack kirby out of this <laughs>